Now we're going to read from the scriptures. We're in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 21 uh, to give us the, the context of this passage. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is, in which is dissipation, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when a person becomes a Christian, there is something that changes. For that person, something must change. Your outlook, the way you see things, your behavior, just the way you live, all of that changes. But as, as we try to, to always make clear here, that change in behavior, that change in your behavior, that is not what makes you a Christian, that changed behavior doesn't qualify you to be a Christian. Rather, it's, it's because you're a Christian, it's because you've become a Christian that you change your behavior. Now, that's something that I want all of you to know. And, and we always have to come back to it because it's very easy to, to reverse that. I want all of you to know that, especially you who are children, If you grow up here, this is something you you need to know. If if I were to ask you, you children, if I were to ask you, how can a person 
become right with God? What would you say? If you say a person becomes right with God, if they stop doing bad things, if they stop doing these bad things, and they start doing right things, that's, that's how a person becomes right with God. If you say a person becomes right with God by, by changing their behavior, by, by changing their behavior to good behavior, that's how a person becomes right with God. Well, if that's your answer, you have a religion, but it's not Christianity, it's not the gospel. Christianity teaches us that as fallen people, you can never behave. You can never behave enough to become right with God. You cannot clean yourself up. There's no amount of self-improvement that you can accomplish to make yourself right with God. We will always fall short. The gospel tells us that it's by grace that we're saved, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And we can only become right with God. The only way to become right with God is by something that you could never do and that someone else did. It's by trusting that Jesus died for me. He's my substitute. He's my blame taker. And Jesus not only died for me, Jesus lived for me. His good behavior is counted as if I had behaved well. Now, theologically speaking, what we're saying is we believe in Christ alone for our justification with God. Now, this is hard for us, especially the longer you go in church, in some ways this is even harder for us. We easily imagine that our new behavior, our good behavior, is that's what makes me acceptable to God. That, that my presence in church, my actions in church context, in church opportunities, that that is what is making me acceptable to God. But they don't, and they won't. And Jesus warns you, don't be secure in your behavior. Don't be secure in your good behavior. Luke 18. Also, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so children, how can a person become right with God? You can do nothing but believe on Christ alone as he's offered to you in the gospel. And then Because you're right with God, your behavior changes. Now, this is where we are in this letter to the Ephesians. He's saying, he's been saying up to this point, because you have believed and because you've been reconciled to God through Christ, now, now that you're reconciled to God, now your behavior needs to change. Paul describes our behavior, he describes it as a walk. He uses the word walk several times throughout the book. And so recall how he uses walk to describe how we live. Ephesians 4.1, he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Ephesians 2.2, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But now, then verse 10, now we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, so from chapter 4, 17 through 24, Paul says, don't walk as you used to walk. Don't walk as you formerly walked. Put off your old way of living. 
put on this new way of living. And Tim Lane, the, the counselor and the pastor, has called this the comfort and the call of the gospel. The comfort and the call of the gospel. The comfort of the gospel. Jesus saved you. The call of the gospel. Leave everything behind. Take up your cross and follow him. And so here we, we come to chapter 5, and Paul presents three different ways to walk. He, he presents three aspects to this new behavior, this new way of living. Three ways to walk. Last week, we looked at the first one, Ephesians 5.2. He said, walk in love. Walk in love. The second way, we'll look at this morning, Ephesians 5.8. He says, walk as children of light. And then we'll also look at the third way this morning, Ephesians 5.15. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so we looked last week at the the first new ways to walk, walk in love, walk as someone who's loved, and that will change your love life. It will alter what you love. And then this week we'll look at verses 8 through 21, these other two ways of walking. Walk as children of light and walk wisely, walk circumspectly. So in this passage, we'll look at three things. First of all, we'll look at a change of identity, a change of identity. And then secondly, a change of speech. And then thirdly, the light in the darkness. So a change of identity, a change of speech, and the light in the darkness. So let's look at the change of identity, verses 8 through 14. And what we see here is that when you become a Christian, your identity also changes. Your identity also changes. Your core identity, it's no longer your gender. It's no longer your ethnicity. It's no longer your academic or your financial or your, your professional position. Those are all things that are still an aspect of who you are, but they are no longer your core identity. You've got a new core identity. Verse 8, he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so then he says, walk as children of light. So this is, this is who you are. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are light. You are a child of light, a son of light, a daughter of light. Now, you hear that, and, and that can sound poetic, that can sound very spiritual, but it can land kind of vague. What does it mean? What does it mean to be light? What does it mean to be a child of light? Well, first of all, to be a child of light, it means that you decisively switch sides. To be a child of light means you decisively change sides. You were once darkness, he says, but now you are light in the Lord. It's a change of allegiances. It's, it's a change of citizenship. All people, from the beginning, since Adam's fall in the ancient garden, all of us, we began with a loyalty, not to God, but to the devil. We all begin with a loyalty, not to God, but to ourselves. And earlier, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it said, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So he's saying you used to be loyal to the devil. That, that was what you were once living in, this, this, the, the, his realm, the prince of the power of the air. You were loyal to the devil. And then verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. And so there's loyalty self. We were loyal to the devil. We were loyal to ourself, me. That 
was the center of our universe, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, when you hear all of that and this claim that we were loyal to the devil, loyal to ourselves, that, that just goes against modern sensibilities. You, you hear that and you think, we're modern. We don't believe in the devil. We, we, we don't think there's anything wrong with living for ourselves. Isn't that the most important thing? Your self-worth, your self-image? Well, there is something that's offensive about that. And it's counter to the way that the rest of the world thinks. The question that I want to ask you, the challenge I, I, I want to ask you, if, first of all, to Christians. If you're a Christian, can I challenge you with this? Do you recognize? Do you recognize that within yourself, inside you, you have the capacity to cheat on your spouse given the right pressures, given the right temptations, you have that capacity. You could execute that plan. Do you recognize, you who are Christians, do you recognize that you have the capacity, you are capable of throwing yourself into, into addiction or into some kind of escape given enough pain, given enough disappointment? Do you recognize that you've got the capacity to become an addict, to become an escapist? Do you recognize that you have the capacity to hold grudges, to nurse inside your heart bitterness. And, and given the right circumstances, you've got the capacity even to instrument the death of someone else. Do you recognize that, that that capacity is in you? And if you're not a Christian, can I challenge you this way? If you're not a Christian, can I offer this challenge to you? Do you recognize that people are evil? Do you recognize that Human beings are evil. Not as evil as they could be, but ultimately, that even the best acts, they're worthy of suspicion. Even the best acts, human acts, they're at least tinted with this self-aggrandizing desire and, and this desire to selfishly accumulate for ourselves. Do you recognize that there's darkness in every human heart? That, that, that's part of our natural identity now, in this fallen world. Not total darkness, but significant darkness resides in all of us. Can I challenge you with that? That that all of us as humans carry this fatal flaw in us. But when a person comes to Christ, when, when a person becomes a Christian, the follower of Christ is now called to live into a new identity. Called to live into this new identity to be light. To live in your identity as a child, not a child of the devil, not a child living for yourself, not of darkness, but as a child of light. And if you become a Christian, if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I, I, I've been baptized, I, I've professed my faith, I've studied, I've, I've learned the basics of, of, of what the Bible teaches, I am a Christian. Do you recognize that your loyalty has to change? It must change. You've got to leave the old team and never go back to the old team. You've got to start practicing now, showing up for practices in the games with the new team, and you've got to stay there. You can't go back to the old team. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so what does that look like? And this is something that it, it has to be asked to yourself if you're a Christian. Is this, look, is this what my life is looking like? Verse 8, he says, the fruit of the light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He's saying, 
if you don't have this new identity, if you haven't made the change from the old team to the new team, without this new identity from God, you're just stuck. You're stuck in the opposite of goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you don't have this, this new identity, this change of heart from God, you're living with a form of disability. You are living with a moral disability. It's like a handicap. You are unable to truly do good. You are unable to truly do right. You're unable to bear the truth, to handle the truth, and to tell the truth. But if you've become a Christian, if you've become a Christian, Paul says, live the change. Live it. Do good. Do what God says is right. And for the first time in your life, believe and start speaking the truth. You say you're a Christian, Live the change. Live the change from darkness into life. Paul highlights one particular change with this change of identity. And this is the second thing here. Secondly, to be a child of light, it means that you have a change of company. To be a child of light means you have a change of the company that you keep. Verse 10, he says, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. You've spent your whole life asking, You've spent your whole life asking, how can I get what I want? You've spent your whole life asking, how can I get the partner that I want? How can I get the admiration that I want? How can I get the security in life that I want? But when you become a Christian, the question changes. The question now should be this, how can I know what the Lord wants? Do you have a new allegiance? You've got a new captain to whom you're loyal. And, and, and so the question is always, what does my captain want? How do you know what's acceptable to the Lord? It comes through this change of company. You have to spend time with him. You, you have to listen to him. You've got to keep company with him. Not spend all your days in your own head, spending time with yourself. This is part of your new identity as a child of light. And, and this is actually a theme in the Bible. This, this theme of keeping company with the Lord. It's at the very beginning in the garden. When people keep company with the Lord, when they're in his presence, one of the things that happens over and over in, in all of the, the, uh, the accounts for when people have this encounter and they're keeping company with the Lord, it's a, his presence is full of light and brightness. Think, for example, of, of Peter, James, and John on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. They were in the presence of Jesus, and what, what was the description? He was dazzling. He was in, they were in brightness, overwhelming. Think of, of Moses. Same thing with Moses. When he met with God on the mountain, when he met with God at the tent in the tabernacle, as he met as a person meets with a friend, God was holy. God was bright. And Moses was so changed by being in the presence of that brightness, the presence of God, that when he came down, when he came out from it, His own face became bright. His own face had a light. His own face glowed like the glow when you take your your watch. Maybe your watch glows in the dark. When you hold it up to light, you take it away from the light. It glows itself. There's light. The lamp charges the watch and it glows. And so let me be concrete about this. When you keep company with the Lord, when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, it will nurture your identity as light. When you spend personal time reading your Bible, when you spend time reading the scriptures, time in prayer, where you're talking to God, when you're hearing from God, asking God to to guide you, when you spend time in the community of Jesus, 
when you're, when you're here for gathered worship on Sundays, you are exposing yourself to his light. And that, that is how you can find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Because those are the places that you're exposed to his will and to his, his word. He, with every time you do that, he becomes more and more your main influence, the main influence in your life. And he changes you. He changes us. But this is something that needs to be ongoing. You have to keep on consulting with Jesus. You would do that if you're in a class. When you're confused or struggling or discouraged about a class, you would go in and talk to your professor, talk to the teaching assistant. You would do that when you're, you're trying to work through a thorny financial problem. And maybe you would talk to your parents. You would talk to your financial advisor. You would talk to a trusted friend. You would keep coming for continual ongoing advice, consulting. You've got to keep consulting Jesus. You've got to have regular face-to-face time with Jesus, time where you're in front of his face, where you present yourself to the face of Christ. When you, you get that when you read the Bible. You get that when you come to him in prayer. You get that when you enter into the assembled congregation for worship, the place that he says he delights to dwell. Now, how can you find out what's acceptable to him? As you come before his face, that exposure will make you shine. And, and that's what's said in places like 2 Corinthians 4. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who is shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so go to the, go to the Bible and be looking for Jesus as you read your Bible. Go, go to church, but be looking for Christ at church. Go to your prayers. Pray to him and ask, Lord, would you show me yourself? Would you show me yourself? Psalm, Psalm 63, 2 says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. That, that's, that's the implicit request that you have when you come to church, when you go to prayer, when you read the word. I've looked for you. I've looked for you in the sanctuary. I want to see your glory. I want to see your beauty. I want to see your power. Now, this leads to the third thing. To be a child of light, it means also that you've got a change of influence. This is verses 11 through 14. If you're a child of light, it means you have a change of influence. Specifically, you start to influence those around you. You influence others around you. Well, how? How, how does that work out? Well, your life changes because you're light now. Your life changes, and as you live your new life, you become this living image of Jesus. And as you spend time soaking in his words, as you, as you start absorbing his ways and imitating his ways, you become like him. You become an imitation of him. He is light, and so you become light, and your light starts to shine on other people. And that's what it says here in verse 13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. What he's saying is, if something is light, you know something's light if it shines on things and lights them up. He's saying, light shines on things and reveals what was in darkness. He's saying, it's light that shines and reveals what's dark. And so, as you spend time in the presence of Jesus, as you're around Jesus and he's influencing you, and as you do his will, you do what's good, you do what's righteous and true, then your your life becomes a light that reveals and offers a contrast to the evil that's done around you. Not in some kind of self-righteous way. It's just, you're being more like Jesus. 
And that's a contrast. When a, when a Christian is in a situation where everyone around him is cheating, cheating about the hours that are reported, cheating about the assignments, but to his own hurt, he will not cheat. You're light, you're shining. People will see that light. When a Christian is in the world where everyone, everyone around her is saying that your looks or your smarts or your work, that is where you'll find worth. When she's living in a world where everyone says that's what makes you worth something, that's what gives you value. But you as a believer shine as someone who is secure and even maybe even happy because she finds her worth, she finds her value somewhere else. She knows that she's treasured by God. That, that's where her worth and value come from. Verse 11 says, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now he's not saying there, stay away from all people who live in darkness. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, stay away from the works. Stay away from the works of darkness. Don't live in the value system of darkness. Instead, shine. Live, shine among them and expose the darkness for what it is. You have to be around them because he says shine on those who are sleeping. Shine on those who are in darkness. But don't partake of the works. So verse 14, he says, when you shine, when you're doing God's good and God's righteousness in the world, you're shining. And what happens? What happens when the day, it's been night, and the day is starting to dawn, and sunlight starts to shine on the face of people who are sleeping? What happens? Well, sometimes the daylight wakes them up. And, and sleepers, some sleepers, will awaken because of your light. Verse 14, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Your, awake, your light will awaken some. Your light will even attract some. Now, this is exactly what Jesus meant when he told us, Matthew 5, you Speaking to believers, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Christians are called to be this light. You're called as a Christian to proclaim the freedom of the Lord to everyone who's captive. That's evangelism. Now, some of you, if you're like me growing up, when evangelism comes up, when, when people talk about evangelism, you start to panic. You start to think, I, I don't have what it takes. I, I don't know what to say. I always mess it up. I'm so nervous. It makes everyone else nervous. You feel unskilled. You feel unable to offer Jesus to people. Let me just tell you, though, this, this passage is not focusing so much on your words. It's focusing on your works, and your works can be powerfully evangelistic. The first way that your works can be a light that shines and can, can even awaken and attract people, the first way that your works can shine is when you're in temptation. When you are tempted to do something wrong, when people see you in temptation, maybe you're under pressure, maybe the temptation is you're under temptation to let your anger take the reins, but they see you Resisting that temptation. They know that you must have the fuse burning, but they see you resist that temptation, and instead of erupting, they see you showing love instead of wrath. That light will shine to the people who live around you. And, and the second way that your light can shine, not just when you're in temptation, 
Your light can also shine when you are in trouble. When people see you in trouble, when they see you suffering, but instead of what they would expect to see, grumbling or complaining or fear and and despair, instead of seeing those things, they see trust. They see you trusting God. They see you going to God. They see you, maybe you're shaky. They see that you're weak. They see that you are being tossed about by all the trouble, but they see you devoted to prayer and all that. And your response to trouble can be a very bright light. Your response to trouble can shine as a light on those who are without light. Think of what happened when Paul and Silas were in the dungeon. They sang. That shone. That light shined. Some, some will see your light and they'll, they'll mock you. They'll scorn you. The way that Daniel's co-workers scorned him. But some will see you in your trouble and they will start to seek like Simon, asking Paul, would you pray for me? So think about this. This is another way to let your light shine. Tell the people around you the honest truth about where you are. Tell them about your temptations and how God has given grace to you. Tell them about your trouble and how you're, you're, you're striving to trust God. We've looked at a change of identity. Now let's look at a change of speech. This is in verses 15 through 21, a change of speech. And in verse 15, he says, this is another way to walk. He says, look carefully how you walk, not as fools, but as wise. So he's saying, look carefully at your life, walk wisely, walk circumspectly. What he's saying when he says, look carefully at how you walk, he's saying, interrogate your life. Challenge yourself, challenge the way that you're thinking, challenge your own outlook, challenge your own behavior. Are you acting wise? Are you acting foolish? Well, what would be wise? He he answers that in verse 16. What would be wise? Living with this understanding that you live in evil days. The days are evil. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He's saying this. Here's a wise way of walking, the wise way of, of living and thinking. Recognize that you live in evil days that you have very little time left in this life. Make the most of the little time you have left. Make the most of the little time that's left because the days are filled with evil. Colossians 4, 5 speaks to this. He says, make the most of every opportunity with those who are outside the faith. Take advantage of every opportunity you have, just even the slightest interaction that you have with those who are outside the faith the person who's checking you out. It might be the last time you ever have an encounter with them. I don't know what you can say, but you can ask God to to open a door to to inspire you or at least give you gratitude when everyone else around them is complaining and unhappy. You will have only a few opportunities to shine light. The world is dark. It's very dark. You know what it is to have just literal darkness. Those of you who have lived in Tidewater, maybe you've been through enough hurricane seasons that you've been here through some of the storms that have come through and knocked out the power. Sometimes when a tropical storm or hurricane comes through, we've got widespread power outages. Some of them last for a day, some of them last for days, even a week. And, and what happens when that happens? It, when night comes, it gets very dark. No one has street lights on. No one has uh, lights on in the house or on their front porch. The power's been out for hours, maybe days. And when you step out, you go outside at night. 
your dark house, on your dark street. Every window of every house down the street is dark. But you might see people here and there in the night, some of them walking in darkness. Some of them, maybe a few, have flashlights. They, they probe just a little bit, looking at the fallen trees, looking at the, 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 the power lines, illuminating a fallen power line as they point at it with their flashlight. These are days that are dark. These are days that are filled with darkness where you live, where you work. Lives. You're surrounded by lives that are lived day by day in darkness. And for some people, you may get only one, maybe two opportunities to shine light into their lives. And then you're going to move on. You're going to move on. And that may be the only light that they ever see again. So how do you live in these days of evil and of darkness? Verse 17, here is the wise will of the Lord. Verse 18, he says, and this is behavior. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, he's saying what does everybody else do when life is hard? What does everyone else want to do when the days are rotten and the days are evil? When everything is going wrong and you yourself maybe are half the problem. Well, we want an escape. We want an escape. We want to forget about our trouble. We want to numb the pain. And so some people, for some people, they do it by drinking. Or if it's not drink, they seek escape some other way, some relief in something. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's just screens. Maybe it's substances. The word here says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't run to drugs or distractions. Do run to God. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being filled with drink, be filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, well, how? Like, how how do I, I mean, how do you get filled with the Spirit? It's, It's very strange. He answers this, though. He says, by speech, by speech acts. It's very strange, but it's very practical. Sometimes, you remember that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is out there, and it's real. The Spirit's like the wind. It blows wherever it will. How are you going to get filled? How are you going to tap into that? It's not under our control. It's not predictable. But, and here the the Bible is very concrete, be filled with the Spirit and do three speech acts that he lists here. First of all, verse 19. He says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's saying, take worship song. Take take the stuff that's in these books that we sing. Take worship song. Take psalms, the, the books in the middle of your Bible. Take psalms. Utter them. Speak them. Use your vocal cords. Utter them to other believers. He says, speak to one another in these words. And that's what he means. When you sincerely take worship song, take the psalms, take the hymns, when you sincerely share the word with other believers, something inside you happens. It's, it's almost like you can, you can pour a sense of the Holy Spirit from one picture, your picture, into the picture of another person as you speak the words of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you do that? Can, can you share verses and songs with each other when you're discouraged, when you're down? Can you take some of the words of, of songs and hymns and spiritual songs and share that with another person? Can you share verses and psalms with each other not only when you're discouraged, can you do it when you're encouraged? And, and you say, well, I'm just not like that. I, I don't do that. 
Yeah, I get that. Uh, what I'm saying is you're supposed to do that. Can you call your friend when you're down or when they're down? Can you text them and, and say, I've been troubled. I've been worried. But then I read this psalm. I read Psalm 77. I read Psalm 88. I read Psalm 40. Can I, can I read part of it to you? This is where I am right now. A second speech act that stirs the spirit in you. It's what he says here. Singing and making melody in your heart or from your heart to the Lord. So the first speech act was speaking to one another. The second one is singing and making melody in your heart or from your heart to the Lord. And so same context of trouble. Maybe you're, you're in a, a hard time right now and the days are just full of grief, full of evil. Well, what do you do? How are you going to get filled with the spirit? What do you do? It says sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Do it when you're alone, crying in your room. Sing to the Lord. Do it in the assembly. When you come to worship on Sunday morning, do it in the corporate worship service when you're just hidden in the crowd on Sunday evening. And that's why we sing all the psalms here, the psalms of joy, the psalms of sorrow. Pour out your heart to the Lord in song. A third speech act that also will stir the spirit in you. Verse 20, he says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice the absolutes that he uses here when he says this in verse 20. He says, always give thanks to God. If you've had a mom and dad, what did they always do when someone gave you a gift, when did something kind, served you food? They tried to teach you to say, thank you. And our lives are filled with God doing things, if we could just stir our minds a little bit, where we could say to him, thank you giving thanks to God. And he says, give thanks always. He says, give thanks to God for all things. Now that's hard, but it's possible. When times are sunny, thank God. When times are dark, thank God. You'll remember Job, a fabulous example for us. Job, in response to losing everything, he lost his job, he lost his income, he lost his home, he lost his children, he lost his health. And then what did he say? He gave thanks. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the days are evil, we easily can just spiral down within ourselves into morbid introspection. We can get sucked into doubt and despair, swallowed up inside ourselves in in self-pity. These three speech acts, these three speech acts will pull your focus outside of yourself, outward to other people, upward to God. And these outward acts will keep you from being sucked into the inner darkness of your own heart, your own pain. We need the community, the community of God's people. We speak to them. We need them to speak to us. We need times of gathering together for worship where we can sing and where we can thank God together. But sometimes it goes on for a very long time. Sometimes the days become overwhelmingly bad, evil, too many Bad things, it's just like they're flooding in through the windows and the doors. Too many, too many good things get lost or broken beyond repair. It could be your son, it could be your daughter, it could be your health, it could be your sin. And then you, you recognize, you start to sense, I'm not doing well. You start to sense that I, I'm, not, I'm not resisting the temptations as they come up. You start to to sense that you're not handling your trouble well. The days are dark and 
and your light is not shining. Your light has run out of batteries and you feel guilty about it. You feel shame for it. You feel like a failure and, and you're confused. Where has God gone? Where is he? Well, these are some of your psalms maybe. Psalm 31, 22. I am cut off from before your eyes. Psalm 42, 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have knocked me over. What will enable you to keep looking for light when everything around you is just getting darker, if it was even possible? You need a light in the darkness. And this is our Jesus. Jesus is the one who went through ultimate and total darkness. It was physical darkness and it was spiritual darkness. Physical darkness. When Jesus hung on the cross, literally, the skies blackened for hours. But not just physical darkness. He went through spiritual darkness. When Jesus hung on the cross, it felt like God had turned away from him. And God did turn his face away. And in that darkness, in the, the dereliction of his soul, Jesus never stopped looking up. Jesus didn't turn his face from God. Jesus, in the darkness, kept looking up to God. That question, why have you forsaken me? That was upward, outward. He was looking to God, even in that confused cry. And in the gospel, Jesus is the light which shone in the darkness. John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is our lot in this fallen world, sin, misery, and into this dark world, this darkness, Jesus entered and shines. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. John 1, 9, Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In the gospel, Jesus hung in darkness so that we who believe could be brought into his marvelous light. And when you believe and when you receive Jesus as the light of the world, he changes you. He will remove your darkened heart. He'll take that away from you and give you a living heart. And when you are scared and when you are in the dark, he will always come to you. Jesus came to the disciples when they were in the dark, struggling with the wind, struggling with the waves. Jesus came across the water to them in the night. He will come to you. In his book, Sinclair Ferguson, his book, Deserted by God, Sinclair Ferguson recounts the story of how the missionary, Alan Gardner, died. And this is what he writes. In the summer of 1851, the lifeless body of an English missionary, Alan Gardner, was found by a search party. It was hidden under the boat, turned, turned upside down, hidden in the boat, which he, 
in which he had taken refuge during his last days. He and his companions had been shipwrecked on Tierra del Fuego. Eventually, their remaining provisions ran out. Death came slowly, but inevitably, to each of them. We know some of the thoughts of Alan Gardner during those days from letters he had left for his family and from entries in his personal journal, which was found beside his body. He was at one stage desperate for water. His pangs of thirst, he wrote, were almost intolerable. Far from home, far from loved ones, Alan Gardner died alone, isolated, weakened, physically broken, hardly what we might think of as the end of a victorious Christian life. Despite the wretched conditions in which he died, he seems to have experienced a new and deeper sense of the goodness of God. He wrote out passages from his beloved King James Bible. One of them was Psalm 34, 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. In his weakness, he managed to pen one final entry in feeble handwriting into his journal. It was this. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and we need you. And some here come, and they're struggling. All seems dark. Lord, for those who are in the darkness of sin and captivity, would you be the light that shines in and draws them to yourself? For those who are, who are struggling in the darkness and confusion of extended trouble, would you come to them? Would you cross the waters and come to them as well? And pull us up, Lord. Save us. Pull us up out of the water that we have sunk into. And Lord, would you shine onto us and show us yourself and make us to shine brightly in this world. We're so glad to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.